This week on Developer Weekly. You can think of it as a set of building blocks that makes it easier to build cloud-native or microservice applications. Hey guys, I've been using Windows 10 for years now and I recently took the time to learn how to be more productive with it. There are lots of shortcuts and tools in Windows 10 that help me throughout the day. Do you also want to be more productive with Windows 10? Then check out my new Udemy course called Windows 10 Productivity Booster. You can check it out at azureberry.com slash windows. That is azureberry.com slash windows. Welcome to another episode of Developer Weekly. This week I'm talking with Edwin van Wijk and Sander Molenkamp about Dapper. Edwin is a Microsoft MVP and Principal Software Architect at InfoSupport in the Netherlands. And Sander is also a Microsoft MVP and a Cloud Software Architect at InfoSupport. Together, they host the video podcast .netflix at .netflix.com. Hey guys, how are you doing? Awesome, Great. thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, thank you very much for being on the show. You guys are the first uh, team of people on the show, so more than one person on the show. So let's see how it goes with uh, the walkie-talkie effect of a podcast. I think we'll be fine. Yeah, that's uh, that's always interesting. It, it's it's also <laughs> it's also a bit more difficult uh, doing this virtual than in real life because if you're all together in the same room, you you kind of feel when somebody wants to say something, and that's just more difficult than doing this over the internet. But um, exactly. But but you are editing this, right? So so you'll just put in a couple of editing hours, and it will turn out fine. Absolutely. Yeah. I always try and make my uh, guests sound great. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll definitely be fine. But yeah, I do, uh, I do totally understand what you mean, especially when you are, for instance, uh, presenting virtually as well. It's very difficult because you, you know, you don't see what the audience is thinking or, you know, if it's landing, if they like it, if they look angry, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you it's don't it's see just that. a total lack of feedback. Absolutely. Yeah. So you guys, uh, work together, uh, a lot, it seems, at least at what I've seen online with .netflix and things like that. Um, you've been doing .netflix since 2015, which is very impressive. Why did you guys start that? Well, actually, um, I was walking around with the idea of uh, having such a video channel for some time. And we thought, well, we want to have something to host guests, so to get people speaking about cool technology. Uh, primarily in the Microsoft space. So that's why the name .netflix uh, came about. Mm -hmm. um, and we thought it was really nice to let people, to also give people a platform to talk about stuff. And um, so we started out with that uh, little demos. And also we, we started with small, uh, uh, short uh, episodes. So people can just watch it, you know, when they are in a lunch or maybe listen to it uh, as a podcast. So, so that's why the idea came, uh, came about. Ah, very cool. Yeah, we we try to keep that short, but I'm not sure we always succeeded at that, uh, Edwin. No, yeah, that, that's correct. We we're also very interested in in technology, and you know, we dive into every rabbit hole that we see. So sometimes it's a bit hard to keep it within 20 minutes or so. But uh, yeah, sometimes we also do a mini series, and then we do a couple of uh, recordings. But uh, it's always very, uh, very a uh, lot of fun to do. Okay, and that's a weekly show, right? Uh, no, it is actually since uh, a couple of months we do it monthly. Uh, oh. And before that, it was just as we, you know, if if we met someone on a conference and we could ask him to do a talk, then uh, it was it was a recording. But now we have a schedule and we do it once a month. So, uh, yeah. Ah, okay. 
Very cool. And people can check that out at .netflix.com. Yeah, or you, or you can go directly to youtube.com slash .netflix. That's even faster. Oh, that's even faster. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, I'll put that uh, in the show notes so that people can find that as well because uh, you guys had had quite some uh, impressive guests there and the topics are always interesting, I find. So let's talk about Dapper. There's been uh, uh, some news uh, around Dapper as in that it uh, reached version 1.0, I think, or 1.01 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So uh, a major version, but I don't really know what it is. So maybe you guys can explain to me and the listeners what Dapper is. What is it and why would you use it? Yeah, so Dapper is, uh, or Dapper is an abbreviation of Distributed Application Runtime. And it's a project that started within Microsoft. And it's, you can think of it as a set of building blocks that makes it easier to build cloud-native or microservice applications. So when you start getting into these cloud-native applications, you run into some challenges, right? All of a sudden, you have a lot of different services. They run on different nodes. Um, so they need to communicate with each other. And then you run into the problem, okay, so how do these services know where they live and how do you address them? So this is one of the problems that Dapper solves using a service invocation building block. Yeah, and, and you, you actually, if you look at these kinds of applications, there's a lot of plumbing code that you have to write as a developer to get all that stuff up and running. So Sander was talking about invoking a service that is a part of your solution, but also if you want to do, for instance, pops up, so pub publish and subscribe kind of messaging, um, then you have to have some kind of a message broker and you need to integrate with that. So you as a developer often create some kind of an abstraction layer for working with these kinds of tools, right? Um, and Dapper is, is exactly uh, that. So it can help you with taking away this plumbing for you. So it basically implements it for you using these building blocks. And yeah, it takes a lot of heavy lifting off the shoulders of the developers so they can focus on the business logic side of things and not the plumbing and infrastructure side of things. Hmm. Can you give me an example of, of a type of architecture where you might use this? Yeah, of course, uh, if you look at microservices, microservices is very popular uh, nowadays. And uh, what you see, and, and that's also really nice, um, one of the questions is, of course, is a microservices architecture always the best thing to do? But if you start with microservices, then you often run into these kinds of problems quite fast. And then you need to do something about it. So um, I think that in a microservices or basically every distributed uh, application that you build, I think that Dapper would help you with uh, these kinds of plumbing stuff. Yeah, so so maybe it's good to to just quickly summarize the building blocks here, so you have a general feel of of what kind of functionality Dapper gives you. So uh, the first one is service invocation, which helps you discover and communicate with, uh, with services. Then you have a PubSub that Edwin mentioned that just integrates with a PubSub message brokers. You've got state management, which gives you a key value store. So you can create these uh, long running stateful services by storing a state using that building block. Um, you've got bindings, um, which are a little bit like the bindings that, that we know from Azure Functions. So, so you can very easily integrate with external systems without really knowing the SDK or the API of that server. So for example, if I want to send an email using SendGrid, I can use the SendGrid Dapper binding 
And that will just take a really simple payload of the, of the message I want to send. And then the Dapper binding itself knows all the, the details of how to communicate with the SendCrit API. So I don't need to have to code that uh, myself. Yeah, and, and another uh, advantage of that is that if you would later on would like to switch to Postmark or to some SMTP server, then um, Dapper also has different components that you can use for each of these building blocks. So you can easily switch from one, compo- uh, one technology to another without you changing your own code. So you will just use a different component for that building block. If that makes sense. And for for this particular block, does Dapper then provide um, out of the box components for let's say SendGrid and for other? Uh, yeah, it, it does. So so Dapper is open source, and it has a separate uh, Dapper contrib uh, repository where all the components live. Yeah, this and is the components contrib uh, repository. Uh, yeah. Dapper Components Contrib. And at this moment, I think there are around 70, 75 components in that repository. Mm -hmm. And all of those are are basically compiled to one huge uh, executable that runs alongside your application. So um, yeah, and and, and the nice thing is that it being open source, if a certain component isn't yet available through Dapper and you would like to contribute that yourself, uh, it's very easy to do so. Ah, okay, so are there more building blocks? So yeah, so we've got, uh, I mentioned service invocation, pub sub, state management and bindings. And then we have a secret management building block. Um, we have an observability building block and then we have actors, an actors uh, model uh, building block which is very, very similar to the way that Surface Fabric uh, uh, provided you with a reliable Actors API. Okay. And and then you mentioned that this all lives inside one executable that somehow runs next to your application. Yeah. So, so the interesting thing about Dapper is that it's it's not a library or a framework that you directly reference from your own application code. In, instead, it runs alongside your application in a kind of uh, in a sidecar architecture. So that that can be in a separate process or in a sidecar container, for example, when you're running in uh, Kubernetes. Yeah, and and all these building blocks, you can call these building blocks using an HTTP or gRPC API. So that is the cool thing, and that's also why Dapper can be used from well, virtually any language or any any technology platform, because if you can do HTTP traffic, for instance, then you could call these building blocks by calling the Dapper API that runs on the Dapper sidecar that runs alongside your application. So you communicate with these building blocks over just HTTP traffic with simple payloads. Mm. All right. So let's say I am running a uh, ASP.NET application and that runs in an app service maybe in multiple app services around the world and it communicates with all sorts of other stuff. And from that application, which is .NET, I want to call uh, SendGrid, for instance, and I want to use one of those building blocks from Dapper. What would I do? Would I just call a REST API? Yeah, basically. you. Um, so the first thing you would have to do is you will have to create a configuration file um, for that binding. So in that configuration file, you tell it that you want to use the SendCrit binding. Um, you maybe have to provide some um, uh, login details for your SendCrit mm-hmm. account. And then Dapper knows that, that you want to use that binding. 
And then from your code, you, you can do a couple of things. First of all, you can directly call that Dapper API on the sidecar by just using HTTP or gRPC. So for example, in, in .NET, you just use the HTTP client and you make an a, a invoke binding call on the Dapper API and you give it the body of the email and the subject of the email and that sort of stuff that, that you want to send out. Um, but for a, a, lot of, a lot of languages, actually, um, Dapper also provides you with language-specific SDKs. Mm. Be, because while it's very cool to have a generic API that you can use from any language, it's really nice to have some more native uh, language SDKs uh, to program against. So, so the other thing you could do is use that Dapper.net SDK, and that will provide you with a Dapper client class. And that uh, has a uh, really simple method called uh, invoke binding, and you can use that to call your binding. Ah. But the, the, the nice thing is that while you're doing that, you don't need to have any knowledge of how the SendGrid API works because all of that has been coded already for you inside the SendGrid component. Right, and you're just talking to an abstraction of that, basically. Right. right. Yes. And then where would Dapper itself run? If I'm if my application is running in an app service, where is Dapper running? So if you are going to deploy to an app service, uh, app service also provides you with the ability to um, to host containers, right? And you can actually uh, deploy uh, Docker Compose files to uh, to app servers. So so in that case, I would probably go with uh, running your app in a container on app servers and then running uh, Dapper as a sidecar on that separate uh, or on that same app service instance. Ah, okay. So Dapper is actually a service that runs itself also, let's say within Azure or another cloud. And that means that we then have another production service. So we need to make sure that whatever is running Dapper also is performant, secure, highly available. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and typically, it's, um, you would use, uh, or the team recommends using Kubernetes in production. Mm. And then you would have your own application container and the Dapper sidecar container running in the same pod. Yeah. All right. So uh, Dapper also has a, a secret uh, management store, like um, Azure Key Vault, for instance, like is a similar thing. Exactly. But then Key Vault is a managed thing that Azure offers. You know, it's also available from Azure. You can call it as a sidecar in, in a sidecar architecture as well. Why would you go for Dapper instead of, let's say, Key Vault? Well, actually, the, the Dapper uh, secrets management building block isn't its own store, but it basically provides you with an abstraction for managing secrets. And you could use Azure Key Vault as the backing store for these secrets. Ah, so your application can use Azure Key Vault without having to know how Azure Key Vault works, for instance. But you could also say, I'm using the Dapper API for sequence management, but I store my keys in HashiCorp Vault. Aha, uh -huh, okay. So it's all about abstracting those kind of tools that you actually use most of the time, but you don't have to know the individual tools. You only have to know the Dapper API for sequence management in this case, which is the same for let's say state management, you could use Redis for storing your state or you could use Cosmos DB, but you as a developer only have to know the Dapper API for state management. Right. And that makes yeah. it really portable and really 
um, yeah, you, you can be up and running with all these kinds of capabilities within no time because you know the Depper APIs. Okay. Ah, now now I'm getting it. It's starting to click here. It's it's clicking. <laughs> yeah, well, well, maybe maybe to illustrate this with another example. Do, do you know the uh, eShop on containers reference application? No. So so eShop on containers is a .NET reference application. It's um, it's it's been published I think a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we decided to take that application and apply the Depper building blocks to it to see if it would really help with uh, getting more maintainable codes, uh, being more portable, stuff like that. Now, in eShop, um, they use um, pub-sub messaging to, uh, between the backend services, and they have built two implementations of that. So there's an iEvent bus abstraction in the code, and then there's an implementation for RabbitMQ and an implementation for Azure Service Bus. And that's really useful because maybe in production you want to run with Azure Service Bus, um, but if you want to do local development, you don't have that Azure Service Bus or you need to spin one up, uh, but then you can just use RabbitMQ, which runs locally in a container. So, so it's easier. So you want to have those two different implementations. But now in this code, you, you need to know about both of those APIs and how they work and you need to build those implementations yourself so so that was like around 700 lines of code for, for those implementations and we we just threw away all of that code and we created an implementation using dapper so our complete implementation was uh, when we want to send an event just hand it over to dapper and use the configured component so that took us like 35 lines of code but now we can basically plug in any PubSub infrastructure that Apple provides. So not only do we have RabbitMQ and Azure Service Bus, but we can also choose uh, Redis Streams or Nets or Kafka. And there are a whole bunch of, of other things we could just plug in there. So, so we gain a lot of functionality with removing code and replacing it with a, with a lot smaller uh, piece of code. Yeah, and, and the cool thing is because this is an open source ecosystem that people start building components for all kinds of uh, message brokers that don't exist yet. Okay, so now it really starts to uh, click for me because when you were talking about these uh, these building blocks, I thought, hey, Azure has kind of the same functionality for all of these building blocks, like for instance, EventBus, uh, Key Vault durable functions for state management, stuff like that. But the real use case here of Dapper is that you have an abstraction layer over that so that you're not tied to just one technology like Azure Event Bus, but that you can then also exactly. easily switch to another Event Bus without changing your code, which is great. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. or to, to a different cloud provider. So you mentioned all those services used uh, offered by Azure. Uh, but if you've got an abstraction layer in the middle, now it's also easier to um, switch to an on-premises environment or the other way around or to Amazon. Um, it makes it really portable. Yeah. yeah. As uh, most companies are still uh, in some sort of way hybrid where they have mm-hmm. some bits of their infrastructure on-premises or maybe on some other cloud like AWS and some bits maybe in Azure. So this might be able to tie it all together easily. That's very cool. Yeah. Okay, so you said this came from Microsoft, right? They started developing this. Is is it still owned by Microsoft? 
Well, actually, Dapper started out um, in one of Mark Rasinovich's Azure incubation teams. Uh, and that's a whole mouthful, of course. But uh, yeah, well, people were experimenting with the idea of Dapper. And then they created an implementation. And they threw that out into the community because it's really community-driven. From day one, actually, they did open uh, uh, stand-ups or community stand-ups online that you could um, participate in. Uh, of course, you could participate by contributing code because it's all up on GitHub. It's all in, out in the open. And eventually, it would also be being donated to the CNCF as a CNCF project. So it is it is really community-driven, and that was always the idea from the beginning. Very cool. What is the CNCF, if I uh, may ask? That's the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Ah, okay. And that's the foundation that hosts uh, several open-source projects. Um, and yeah, well, Dapper will be one of them. And that means that it is completely community-driven and there's no actual commercial vendor owning this technology. It is all community-driven. Yeah. That's very cool uh, of Microsoft. You know, they just give this to the community to, to further cloud computing because this is not per se uh, only for, uh, for Azure because you can use it for whatever you want. Amazon, Google, exactly. whatever. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So... You were mentioning in the example before where I had my .NET application that was running in an app service that when I would then call Dapper for, for instance, uh, calling uh, SendGrid, I would need a configuration file that contains uh, mm -hmm. credentials maybe for SendGrid and some other information. Um, and if Dapper then would be running somewhere in a container, let's say in Kubernetes, where would the configuration file with the credentials be stored? Yeah, so so that kind of depends on the hosting modes that you, that that you choose. So if you run, as you say, in Kubernetes, uh, then these components uh, or these component configuration are just basically manifest files inside Kubernetes. So just to deploy them to your Kubernetes cluster, just like you do with the deployments and the services and and the pods and stuff. Um, if you run Dapper, for example, on your local host, because you are still developing and, and debugging with it, um, you have all of your component configuration files stored in a, um, a separate directory. And when you start the Dapper process, you can specify which, which directory that is. Ah, okay. Well, the reason why I ask is, of course, when you're storing credentials, you need to make sure that wherever you store them, that's actually safe. So that's why you, yes. for instance, can store them also in things like Key Vault and other uh, secret management stores. Is that also an option? And that's a cool thing that you say because that's something that they thought about. Because what is really nice is if you uh, if you store the credentials in this case for SendGrid in a secret, for instance, in Azure Key Vault, and you use secrets management, uh, the Dapper secret management building block you can actually access these secrets from other Dapper configuration files. Ah. So you can do that from code. So from code, you can get the secret through the secret management building block, but you can also create secret refs or secret references from other configuration files. So in this case, your uh, SendGrid configuration file for the SendGrid binding wouldn't contain any credentials per se, but it would have a reference to a secret, and this secret would be stored in Azure Key Vault. Right. That's perfect, because then you don't have yeah. to have those secrets and maybe you check in that configuration file in your source code somewhere, and then you don't have exactly. to check in your secrets, which is the whole point. Exactly, yeah. Awesome, of course they followed that. They followed everything, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, they thought of a lot of stuff uh, between 0.1 and 1.0, but uh, there will be a lot of improvements, and I also think there will be new building blocks and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, there's already a lot of stuff in there if you look at the the amount of components and building blocks. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Depa V1 has been released on February 17th, and that is the, the first supported version that you can actually use in production. Ah, okay. Very cool. So... When you are running a Dapper instance, let's say in a container, it's only mm-hmm. one instance, right? But it is a production system because then your application relies on it to, let's say, send emails and do other important things. So you need to make sure that that instance of Dapper is actually highly available, secure, and performant. Is it then possible, uh-huh. for instance, to run that Dapper instance in uh, two containers or scale it out somehow so that it is highly available if one fails? Well, maybe we have to dive into the hosting model a little bit because it's not just one Dapper instance that you use in your application. Ah, okay. So actually every service, for instance, in your microservices application has its own Dapper sidecar attached to it, basically. Oh. So every instance of your application or your application component has a sidecar running alongside and it communicates to that sidecar. And actually in such a distributed application, these Dapper sidecars also can communicate with each other. This is how they can, for instance, do service invocation because there's all kinds of stuff like naming services and there's a a placement service and there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes that Dapper offers you. So it is not one Dapper instance. That's really important to understand. Okay. I didn't uh, realize that. I thought it was just one thing that was running somewhere. I thought, well, that's going to be difficult because then that's an extra production system and then you need to manage that yourself. That was exactly what I was thinking when I first heard about Dapper. And I I thought, okay, that's okay, a Dapper system that I have to learn and I have to run. So that's exactly what I thought the first time I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's very good to hear. (laughs) That makes it even more uh, attractive there. Okay. As we are uh, nearing the end of the episode, let's uh, take some time to talk about how people can start learning about Dapper. What are some great resources where people can go to learn about this and to install it and run it? Well, of course, there's the Dapper documentation. So uh, if you go to docs.dapper.io, then there's fairly extensive documentation. Um, that you can uh, read through. Uh, It has getting started stuff. It has the documentation for all the building blocks and how to configure it. Um, Yeah, and that's a really good place to start. All right. Yeah, and it also also has a uh, page which contains links to a number of external samples. So that's also a very nice one. And then, of course, if you are a .NET developer, um, Edwin and I have co-authored together with Robert Fretter from Microsoft uh, the book Dapper for .NET Developers. Um, That's a free ebook. It's available from the Microsoft Architecture site. Um, And that's a great place to start if you're a .NET developer. And that also uh, uses uh, that eShop on container sample I I uh, told you about as uh, throughout the whole book to explain how each of these building blocks work in uh, within the eShop context. All right. Excellent. I will link to those uh, in the show notes and then can people can awesome. start learning Dapper and using it to uh, abstract stuff and start using it in uh, multi-cloud and uh, hybrid environments. Awesome, guys. Cool. Thank you very much for teaching me what Dapper is today. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. Yeah, this, this was great. Okay. 
Thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you next week. Could you please go to ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly and rate this podcast and leave a review. This helps me to spread the word about the podcast and helps other people to find it. That is ratethispodcast.com slash developerweekly. Thank you so much.